Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Paige Miller. The Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. In this episode of Grain Talk, I talk to Alex Berry, Soil Management Engineer with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food, and Rural Affairs, about things to consider as wheat harvest ramps up across the province. I will have a conversation with Brendan Burney, Chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario's Board of Directors. And we also start a new segment in the podcast this week. Each podcast, we will feature either resources for farmer wellness or human resources. First, a Grain Talk news update. Applications are now being accepted for the Great Lakes Yen Project. Yen is the Yield Enhancement Network. It's a collaborative research project between Grain Farmers of Ontario, Michigan State University, Michigan Wheat Program, the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, and the University of Guelph. Farmers who will plant winter wheat this fall are needed to participate in this study. The goal of the research is to identify what has the biggest impact on yield and what can be done to increase yield. For more information and to apply, go to greatlakesyen.com. Applications are now being accepted for the 2022 American Soybean Association Corteva AgriScience Young Leader Program. The Young Leader Program provides training for couples or individuals who are passionate about the possibilities and future of agriculture. Phase one of the program will take place at the Corteva Global Business Center in Johnson, Iowa. November 30th to December 3rd, 2021. The second half of the program will be held in conjunction with the Commodity Classic in New Orleans, Louisiana, from March 8th till 12th, 2022. ASA has 26 affiliates, including Grain Farmers of Ontario. One actively farming couple from Ontario is selected to attend the program each year. Participants in the program engage in leadership training that helps them with their farm business and other organizations they serve, gain tools to better enable them to tell their own farming story, and connect them with soybean farmers across the U.S. For more information, contact Mel Rieke, Manager of Member Relations for Grain Farmers of Ontario at mreeke at gfo.ca. To apply, go to soygrowers.com. The deadline for applications is September 1st. Participation in the program is subject to the lifting of the COVID-19 restrictions on cross-border travel. The Government of Ontario has announced a provincial enhancement to agri-stability. Ontario supported the federal government proposal put forward in November 2020 to remove the reference margin limit and increase the compensation rate from 70% to 80%. In March, federal, provincial and territorial ministers agreed to remove the reference margin limit but have not reached agreement on the compensation rate. The province has made the decision to move ahead with providing the provincial portion of the compensation rate increase retroactive to the 2020 growing season. According to the province, this increase and the removal of the reference margin limit will result in approximately $25 million in increased support for Ontario farmers. This is in addition to the $50 million in additional annual funding in the risk management program that was announced in July last year. And now, here's my conversation with Alex Berry. Joining me today on the Grain Talk podcast is Alex Berry, Soil Management Engineer. Uh, So Alex graduated from the University of Guelph with a Bachelor of Engineering and a Master's of Science, both in Mechanical Engineer. And Alex currently works with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, So before we dive in, uh, why don't you give our listeners just a little bit of background about yourself before we jump into all of our great questions? Sure. 
So, uh, yeah, so I was born and raised in Bowmanville, Ontario, uh, on a dairy farm with a bit of cash crop happening. Um, you know, as, as much cash crop as you need to support a dairy plus a little bit extra. Um, so always kind of been around combines and tractors and stuff and, and turning, turning wrenches on them. So familiar from there. Uh, but then in, uh, 2009, I'm going to date myself, I'm going to age myself here, I guess. In 2009, um, right out of high school, I thought I ain't going to miss an opportunity to do the U.S. wheat harvest. So I went out there, worked for an operator at a Saskatchewan and, uh, did the harvest run up from Oklahoma into Northern Saskatchewan and, uh, put a lot of seat time on a combine. Then, uh, as it happens through co-op at the University of Guelph, I uh, worked for a, a couple of ag equipment manufacturers, the second one being Maxon out of Winnipeg. And uh, I was working as a test technician to test some uh, a prototype 45-foot um, Draper platform. So I got to uh, drag that around to the U.S. and, and Canada and and put it through its paces, basically tell the company what was wrong with it. So that was a, that was a pretty sweet job actually. So, um, and then I, I also got the, the follow around another, um, wheat harvest crew, uh, up through Texas and Oklahoma there for a little bit, babysitting their headers. So that uh, was good times. That sounds like a lot of fun. And I bet you met some pretty interesting characters on all three of those tours. Oh yeah. There's, uh, it, uh, no, no, sh- no shortage of variety uh, between <laughs> Saskatchewan sure. and and uh, the southern states, the Midwest, and um, some of the East Coast states. So, for sure. So today we're going to be talking about getting your combine ready for the wheat harvest. And wheat harvest is in some areas it looks like it's a week away, in some areas it looks like it's about three or four weeks away. So, in your opinion, what is the best thing to do before you start to harvest? Uh, just, I don't know, take a breath first thing. Um, it doesn't need to be, uh, don't need to be getting any yank about anything. I, I think, especially with this, if I've learned anything from the pandemic, it's, uh, you don't need to be in a hurry about everything all the time. Um, hurry about the important stuff maybe, but, uh, yeah. So the, uh, the, the, a real answer, I guess, is is try to get ahead of the routine maintenance. Uh, kind of go over all your equipment and think about what you're going to need. Um, so wheat harvest, combine's got to be running, grain buggy, um, tractor to run the grain buggy, trucks. Uh, do trucks need safeties? Do you, know, uh, do you need things like a new draw bolt for the header wagon? Or um, does it need any attention? Or... Or stuff like that. Just just make sure uh, when you decide that wheat's ready, we're gonna go. What do I gotta have? And and then it's not a mad scramble to go and get it. Um, now saying that, doing it too early and getting it all out, putting it all out in the yard, and having it rained on is. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but uh, Dad's always. Uh, Never likes getting, never likes letting things get rained on if it doesn't have to, <laughs> even if it's clean. Fair enough. So. Yeah, agreed. So I guess you kind of answered this, but what should operators and farmers do to ensure that they're ready for har- harvest? Like what sort of tools should they have ready to go? What sort of equipment for the combine should they have ready to go? 
Yeah. So the, the easiest thing is kind of st- take stock of uh, consumables that you'd use throughout, you know, harvest. And, and especially now I'm not saying go out and hoard stuff, but um, I get maybe get a little bit more ahead of, of what you would do with consumables. Um, so guard sections, knives, uh, belts, um, things like that. Uh, just so you, you know, the little stuff doesn't frustrate you. Cause if I was going to bet, um, trying to get parts in a hurry, I think this summer, especially is going to be a little bit difficult with the pandemic slowing everything down. Um, I heard a, a pretty horrible rumor about, you know, the only deer parts that we're going to be, you're going to get were the ones already in Grimsby and God, I hope that's not true. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, just the, the, you know, the little frustrating things, you don't want to go to the dealer and, you know, get a glass, a, a, you know, for instance, like a box of rags or shop towels or even, um, tube of grease. You don't want to have to, you know, wait on that. Um, you might not, you won't be shut down on a tube of grease, but little stuff like that. eh? Um, that's probably, uh, this year, especially, um, my opinion, we just bought a new combine, um, which is probably not a good idea because we don't have any parts. <laughs> so, so we have a whole shelf on the wall with a stash of, of parts for our old combine. Um, but, uh, not a lot of them are going to carry over, um, for, for the new combine. So we ordered the, the three belt that I know for sure we will burn up, uh, during harvest. We've, we got them on order and, and, uh, we're going to at least have those around. So. <laughs> well, it's, it's good that you're prepared. Eh? Just making sure. So what are some of the best practices for setting up a combine? So, uh, and it's all condition driven. So if you want to take it back to first principles, I guess, uh, like engineers love to do, uh, go out to the field with your hands, grab a bundle of wheat. You can, if you want to take the whole stock, you can, or you can just break the heads off. You get a handful of wheat in your hand, clap your hands together, rub them back and forth, mashing up the wheat heads open them up like you were uh you know holding them your hands out like a plate and then blow on it to blow the chaff out uh and then shake your hands a little bit while blowing on it that's all a combine is doing um essentially you're just you're you're taking all of the crop and that could be uh it's going to be the the grain heads for sure uh and and whatever portion of the stock or the stem you want to take uh if you're expecting to get straw out of the crop uh to, to take off afterwards you're going to you know lower your cut height uh and you're going to be taking in a lot of material other than grain or mog um the manufacturers like to call it um that material that is not grain uh ends up just being um fill um especially big combines uh big combines work better when they are full um so sometimes just tuning how much material other than grain you have in um otherwise but the long and short of it all you're doing is grinding up the heads of the of the plant where the seed is uh you're going to blow over it with the fan of the combine to blow the light stuff out you're going to shake it through a sieve to get the big sticks and caterpillars and and um grasshoppers out of it Uh, but otherwise that's that's essentially all the combine's doing so 
uh, I think in a YouTube video last uh, November for just ahead of soybean harvest, I, I did a video with grain farmers and I, I broke down each section of the combine, what it was going to do. Uh, and then kind of jumping from there, looking in your bin to see, well, is the grain sample clean or all the seeds out of the, the husks or the hulls? Um, what's going on? And then which parts of the combine are responsible for for doing that job and, and what adjustments can I make from there? So uh, I like to start front to back. So I would usually tune my header first. It doesn't have to be heads first, but it does have to be consistent. You don't want it coming in and knots and wads and, you know, fits and spurts. And, and depending on the field, uh, I'm looking at a field of wheat right now at the window of the office and it's, it's thick. So I don't think we'll have an issue with, with even feeding. Um, but uh, that's the step one. And then getting it into the combine and, and setting things up from there. Um, for wheat, really all you're going to be doing is tuning your fan a little bit and, and watching your tailings elevator, um, to adjust either too much loss, not enough loss, or, well, there's, I guess there's no such thing as not enough loss. Um, either too much loss or too dirty of a grain sample. And you'd probably run most of your combine just by all you'll do is tune the sieves a little bit. So biggest thing, I guess, to sum up my rambling. Uh, change one thing a little bit and see if it does make a difference. Um, don't go changing a whole bunch of things at once because you you won't know whether you're better off, I guess. Um, so unfortunately, it takes takes a little while. It might take you 20 acres to, to tune a combine. Um, and then uh, and then once once you get it nice and tuned, the crop conditions may change and you'll have to do it all over again. So it's a bit of a continuous process. So basically always just keep an eye out for things and just continually tune things out. That's the best thing is, is I don't be, a, don't be afraid of your, uh, of your equipment. I think it's probably the best, the best, uh, the best advice I can give. Um, I guess you don't have to, if it doesn't say it in the manual, it doesn't mean, you know, you're not allowed to do it. And now if it's a, if it's, you're going to go circumventing safety or, or this and that, but, Small adjustments off the the book settings are are allowed. Um, you know, if this says run the sieves at eight, eighteen millimeters, doesn't mean you can't run them at twenty two, uh, depending on the conditions. So, start with the book settings and then make adjustments from there. There you go. So, what tools are needed to measure some losses? Uh, you can go anywhere from really complicated to real easy. If you want to just get a, a good a good ballpark to start, you don't need anything complicated. All you need is a, a a known sort of area or a known dimension. So I uh I had some rules of thumb here. 18 seeds of wheat. Now it's going to depend on your seed size, but a, you know, an average uh wheat seed size, 18 seeds per square foot. Uh, it's going to be about a bushel per acre loss. But once you have kind of a known area, so the square foot is easy in this case. It's, you know, one foot one way, one foot the other way. Count the seeds in that direct in that uh, area. Um, and if you see 18, that's a bushel per acre loss, which is a lot. Um, you really, um, if you can see losses on the ground, it 
probably looks worse than it is, way worse than it is. Uh, but usually you're fighting for um, sub one bushel losses. Uh, now, if it's, you know, painting the ground uh, behind the combine with seed, then it's obviously going to be a bit, bit different. Now that is also going to depend on whether you're um, swathing straw out of the back of the combine or um, spreading. So if you're spreading it, the assumption being you're spreading it the full width of the header, these rules will apply the 18 seeds per bushel or the 18 seeds per square foot being a bushel. But if you're dropping it all in a, a four foot wide swath, obviously that's going to look much, much worse. And then if you got a new fancy combine where the chaff is separated out from the, the straw, um, then you probably won't have to worry about it. So uh, depending on how new your combine is. Uh, but some other rules of thumb, nine seeds under a baseball cap. Most people wear a baseball cap. You can just take it, wing it out into the field somewhere, wherever it lands, right side up. If you can find nine wheat seeds underneath that sort of area that a baseball cap takes up, uh, you're about a bushel per acre. That's the easiest way to do it is you know, getting a, a good ballpark. Looking at the losses directly behind the combine, so you drive the combine past, go right to the back, um, you see losses. It doesn't tell you where it came from, from the combine. So that could have been, you know, maybe it was header losses or maybe it's coming out of some area of the combine where it shouldn't be or or out the, out the tailboard. You'll have to get a little bit more to pinpoint where things are coming from. So there, I, I know there's a product that uh, is a pan or a tray uh, that'll mount to the feeder house of the combine behind the header and you can drop it as you're driving with an electromagnet so that you can isolate out your header losses or uh, even even before the header, even just environmental losses. So um, things like canola seed, it's quite uh, temperamental. And if it's really dry, uh, a hard, brisk wind uh, can actually shell out um, your crop before you even get to combine it. So that seed will be laying on the ground. Um, and you'll count it as losses and think your combine's not doing very good. But, um, so these, these products that kind of mount before or after the header, uh, if anything lands in that tray, um, then it's come in and the assumption that you can make is it's coming out of the combine. So you can get pretty complex. The other thing, if you don't want to get fancy and buy all the, the fancy trays for the feeder house to, you can you can kind of isolate your header losses and combine losses by just looking in wheel tracks. So the wheels are obviously behind the combine. If you've got a any seeds sitting in the lug impressions uh, that aren't squished into the soil, you can assume those came out of the combine. So a regular bar style tire or ag ag style tire, a, a twelve inch length of a tread impression. Uh, four to five seeds inside that tread impression is going to be about a bushel per acre. So you can even you can even just go after it that way. And remembering what's the price of wheat right now? I mean, I wouldn't get too worried about less than less than ten dollars an acre in most cases. So, what are the key areas uh, in a combine that can make or break your yield? Uh, uh, biggest things, probably the sieves. Well, two things, I guess, I guess it, and this is, this is the thing. It all depends on what's happening. Um, good dry wheat in good conditions, uh, probably going to be pretty easy to, to shell, uh, to get it out of the stock and out of the, out of the heads. 
But if you're looking behind your combine and you're not getting the seed out of the, the plant, uh, you might want to tighten up your concaves or speed up your rotor uh, to get a little bit more violent threshing. So um, if you want uh, more threshing or more, sorry, if you're, if you're not getting enough um, seed out of the plant, you're going to want more violence in the combine. Um, so that can either be faster cylinder or tighten everything up so that it mashes against it a little bit harder. Now, if you're, if you are doing it or your combine's groaning away, you might want to open that back up. So really you would tighten it up until you're getting acceptable threshing and then no further. You don't want to overkill. Sometimes what you can do, um, sometimes that if you do want straw, um, the old, uh, Oh, I can't bail rotor straw. Because uh, it does get a little bit broke up. If you don't want to tighten up your concave anymore because you're going to start to impact your straw quality, um, you can actually put in filler plates over the concaves because a lot of times what's happening is it's breaking the head into large chunks and that's coming through the uh, concave. Uh, so you can use filler plates to make sure all the seeds in the head of the plant stays inside the threshing cylinder. Uh, a little bit longer to, to give it some some more violence, I guess, as it as it were. Um, so filler plates might be an option there. If you are getting good threshing action and your your sample's clean or you're throwing it out the back, well, there's where you're, you're gonna uh, run your sieves and and do adjustments there. So what I always used to do was set the sieve settings to the book, check my losses. If my losses were acceptable, so I'm I'm well below that bushel per acre. Uh, maybe I'll go out, throw the hat on the ground, count two seeds. That's probably going to be acceptable to me. Then I would start to look at my grain sample. And if it's dirty, I'm going to tighten up the bottom sieve until the return elevator is near capacity. You want to kind of run it at about 50 to 75% capacity, I guess. If you're overloading your tailings, then maybe you want to consider opening up your top sieve. But really what you're going to do is just make real fine adjustments to the top and bottom sieve uh, and watching your tailings volume and your losses. And you're just going to try to find a, a happy balance there. The common, or I guess the, the easy process, everything that falls through the top sieve has the potential to get into your grain tank. Um, so if you don't want it in your grain tank, uh, you can close the top sieve so that it will never have the chance to get into your grain tank. Everything that falls through the bottom sieve is 100% going through the grain, going to the grain tank. Let's talk safety for a second. So what are some things that operators should be thinking about in terms of safety when it comes to a combine? The easiest thing right out of the manual is make sure all your guards are in place. Um, and if they're not in place, have a healthy respect for what they should be guarding. Um, I'm not not condoning taking your guards off, but I do understand that they go missing or they get broke or, or whatever. Um, but i uh, heard all the horror stories that you get complacent after a while. So the old story is, you know, the, every time you have to get out, you got to take the guard off and, and fix the problem and then you put the guard back on and it that can wear on you if it's a, a repeating problem all day so at some point you leave the guard off uh, thinking you're going to save yourself some time but the act of taking the guard off um, 
will sometimes be enough time to let all the rotating parts, you know, get their inertia, slow down, come to a stop. So if you get out there faster and you stick your hands in thinking everything's stopped, there's one time it might not be. Um, so you got to have a healthy respect for what will, uh, what will try to kill you or hurt you anyways on your machine. So, uh, keeping your fingers out of places that they don't belong. And the next thing, uh, honestly is just keeping stuff clean. That'll go a long ways to, uh, your enjoyment, I think of the whole year. So when you do break down, if you're not fighting through, you know, a huge wad of chaff covering everything, you're not going to get itchy and you're not going to get mad at it. So we always take a, uh, and we did this, this was a tip I got out West. We always carried around an air compressor with us here at home. We carry around a leaf blower and battery powered leaf blowers now are ubiquitous. They're cheap as chips almost. Um, and they're, uh, they're a good thing to, to just take around and every night, blow the chaff off the combine, especially before it's going to rain. Um, then it doesn't ever have a chance to get that dirty and that'll, uh, that'll go a long way. So, and then when you're going around blowing the chaff off it, you're, you're getting another opportunity to just walk around the combine and make sure everything is, is looking the way it should. So belts are tight, nothing looks hot or discolored or, uh, you know, a bearing isn't wearing through this, the sidewalls of the combine, um, that kind of stuff. And, and then keeping up on routine maintenance, um, you know, little, little things where uh, a machine will keep running, uh, but, but something's definitely broke. Just take, take the time, fix it up, make sure, Make sure if there's a reason, there's a reason why a lot of things were put on a combine. Um, it's, it's helpful to have them there and, and working stuff like, uh, steps and platforms, I guess is what I was getting at there. Um, you got a bent step, take the time to straighten it up, make it look nice. So you're not going to catch your boot and twist your ankle kind of thing. I feel like everybody's tripped up a step, so it's probably a really good one to remember. <laughs> take, take a minute and tell a story from, from wheat harvest. We had a day off. A, a, a weird One crew had the day off because it was raining where we were, but not with the other crew. So we all went to go see what was going on. And one of the other fellas, Josh, he went flying over to the combine to get into the, the, the other operator's combine and wearing his flip-flops. Oh no. Slipped going up the step <laughs> and the bottom step of the John Deere combine is basically razor blades. Ouch. <laughs> so he jammed that into his knee, uh, right under his kneecap and you know, pretty big, pretty big gash. He didn't even notice until we pointed it out. We said, we really, you really, that's, that's probably stitches. <laughs> oh no. So took him to the clinic in Oklahoma and he got four stitches internal and, and 12 stitches external. Um, and he had to wear one of those awkward leg immobilizers for two weeks, oh. <laughs> just climbing up the ladder on the combine with a pair of flip flops on. And that was, uh, I, I hope his travel insurance covered it because in the States that would have been a bill. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. That'll get you when you're not thinking about it. What are some key areas of a combine that an operator should keep an eye on in terms of maintenance to keep the machine running? Uh, easiest thing for keeping an eye on stuff, bearings, rotating parts. Um, so like I say, going around the combine and, and looking for things that seem abnormally hot. 
usually if you're starting to discolor paint, uh, that's a good indication that there's a bearing failing. Some of the times you might not see it and it'll start you know, wearing itself through the, uh, the steel that's should have been holding onto the bearing. So making sure pulleys are tight, you can go around, you can wiggle pulleys and pull on belts and make sure that, you know, things are all solid because normally when a bearing is going to fail, it's going to fail loose. I've, I haven't seen one seize. So it's, um, it's usually pretty obvious that they're, that they're broke. Um, but that's going to be the, the biggest gotcha is, um, wore out bearings. In a combine setting, it's hard to predict uh, a bearing failure, um, whether it's coming or not. So uh, that's one of those things where it's, if you've got something apart already uh, and there's any doubt as to, you know, a bearing that you're going to put back in that, you know, maybe not, maybe wasn't the failure that you're fixing, but if there's any doubt and, you know, the bearings in stock, probably a good idea to, to put some new ones in. Other things like uh, adjusters. So there's a lot of little adjustment points on the combine. So um, things like the fan speed, uh, it's got a little arm that'll push against a, a throwout bearing on the variable shiv for the drive for the fan. Um, stuff like that can wear out even. So you, even the arm, the pivot point of the arm can wear or it can seize and be tight. Um and and those things are, uh, I almost burnt a combine up in Saskatchewan because maybe my inexperience was showing, well, 100% my inexperience was showing. I lost like 300 RPM of fan speed. That should have been an indication to me that something was up. So I thought, oh, that's weird. My fan speed dropped 300 RPM. Better just crank it up. <laughs> so, so you know, turn the knob until you get the fan speed back up to where it was. Well, little did I know, um, the throwout bearing failed and took the tension off the, the fan speed adjustment. And because I didn't get out to look, um, cause I, I hadn't thought of it. I, I thought it was, well, this combine's got a mind of its own. It just adjusted the, con- the fan speed down for me. So I'll just turn it back up. Uh, all I did was tighten the screw up and eliminated the bearing and it was rubbing metal on metal. Ooh. Um, and, uh, the other driver, one of the other combine drivers, he saw it cause we'd stopped for supper and he said, Alex, your, your fan pulley is cherry red. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's, that's not good. Um, and I ended up being broke down for two days, making two four hour drives to Watrous, Saskatchewan to a depot to get parts. Um, so that was, uh, that was a shame on me moment. Um, you know, combine was busy trying to tell me something was wrong and I didn't believe it and fixed it myself from the cab. Are there any other part of the combine that operators should troubleshoot before pulling everything apart or... Yeah, sometimes it'll break down and it won't be immediately obvious. Or, or you could plug a combine uh, and not know what sort of was the root cause. I guess. Unfortunately, I think troubleshooting combines has to happen with uh, <laughs> experience of having lots of broken combines. And I've seen lots of broken combines. So, yeah, I say I say bearings. There's a lot of pivot points too. So on the sieves and all that, there's there's rubber bushings and stuff. Other th- Things I guess you could keep an eye on, um, 
the elevator chain and the tailings elevator chain, clean grain and tailings, uh, keeping an eye on them, making sure they're tight uh, and their sprockets are in good shape. Um, Cause that's something you won't actually notice is wore out until you get too much yield. You can plug elevators or, or it'll just quit altogether and you won't immediately know why. So keeping an eye on that kind of stuff uh, and paddles, making sure paddles are in good condition. Cause if you can't get the grain into the grain tank, you're going to start to plug everything downstream. I know one thing with the John Deere, especially keeping an eye on the clean grain floor. Uh, so there's four little three foot long augers right underneath the, the concaves uh, at the front part of the threshing cylinder. Um, and those, those augers are really only there to get grain that it's immediately thrashed up onto the sieve. And you can have two out of four not turning and not notice. I think I did about 10,000 acres with one of those augers not turning out west. Uh, and it wasn't until I opened up the the covers on the cylinder um for something else entirely that I noticed that the auger was slammed full of grain. <laughs> so um, you probably wouldn't notice that in the losses uh, and you wouldn't notice a, a, a performance loss, I guess, um, with that kind of stuff. So, so some of the things you actually have to, to open up the combine and get eyes on, um, I guess if you were keen, uh, if you had a keen eye, you could look in, from the back uh, and see that kind of thing being a problem. But um, yeah, not, not immediately obvious in that case. Uh, know the sounds, normal operating sounds of your equipment. That's a good thing to know. Uh, you'll eventually get into tune with it and normal vibration. Um, you can, you can somewhat kind of tell something's a little bit suspect uh, if you can start to feel it in the cab. Um, now I say that, but there's the old joke of pilot, a, an airline pilot brings an airplane into the maintenance yard and tells the mechanic that there's an unfamiliar noise coming from the engine and, uh, the mechanic being the, the smart ass he is, uh, writes his, writes his maintenance report out and says, ran the engine for four hours, noise now familiar. <laughs> That's sometimes a bit of a, a misdirection, I guess, to, to just go by sound and feel, because sounds and feels normal it doesn't really mean it is normal. I can honestly say that I have, I've done that with my own car, where I've just gotten so used to noises that I, uh, yeah. just, it the, sounds normal. The check, yeah, the check engine light's <laughs> always on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We don't need to go to the mechanic, it's fine. I say do the maintenance, but leave the fussy stuff till winter time. So um, depending on how many hours you got on your combine, side sheets can wear kind of thin or, or auger tubes can wear like the steel underneath the augers and the grain tanks, they can get kind of thin. Um, a lot of the times you can put a patch, um, get you through a season, and then you can do the more fulsome repair uh, through the winter time. So is there anything else that you would uh, say to operators and farmers before we get ready for weed harvest this year? Considering the weather uh, these days, hot and dry, not a lot of moisture out there. Wouldn't be a bad idea 
to have a water source, fire extinguishers, and maybe even a tillage equipment or a piece of tillage equipment available uh, to uh, to potentially put out a fire or two um, this year. So uh, with the hot dry conditions and and rotating machinery, especially that's that's uh, usually a good a good formula to get a uh, fire started. <laughs> so um, even if it's something as easy as having a water tank on a trailer uh, or even a, one of those totes uh, filled with water in the back of the pickup truck, having something around that you can, uh, you can have a good water source to put out a fire, uh, a small fire before it gets out of hand. Worst case scenario, having uh, a tractor that you can easily hook up to a, a piece of tillage equipment to, to make a fire break if it was to get out of control. Well, thank you very much for uh, taking the time out of your day to sit and chat with me about combine prep and what operators need to kind of have to get ready for the upcoming harvest season, which is fast approaching. Sure thing. Joining me for an update on what's been happening over the last couple of weeks here at Green Farmers of Ontario is Brendan Burney, the chair of our board of directors. Thanks for joining me today, Brendan. No problem at all. There was some um, good news in that Bill C-206 did pass the House of Commons and moved on to the Senate. But with them in recess over the summer now, we're not quite sure what's going to happen with that legislation. Can you give us an update on you know, where we're at with that and why it's important to us? Yeah, for sure. Uh, first off, I would thank any of the uh, the MPs that did vote in favor of that bill because it's it's certainly one that's important to our industry. Uh, it gives us the exemption on uh, would be on grain drying uh, that Minister Lawrence had put forward. Um, unfortunately, in this case, it passed the House of Commons, got passed to the the Senate. We did have good conversation with a couple of senators uh, with regards to the bill. Uh, they were pretty positive that it would pass through the Senate, but they were limited because they only had two days left that they were going to be uh, sitting. And there wasn't enough time to actually do the, uh, to put it to committee, to have a proper discussion, and then to have the vote. And the only other option, unfortunately, is for a senator who thinks that they could get a unanimous vote, they could uh, bypass committee, put a motion to do that. But in this case, uh, both senators we talked to said, Unfortunately, uh, it wouldn't look like they could get it through that way because there were some uh, some opposition with regards to it. And all it takes is one senator to uh, to say no, and then it's defeated and has to go through committee anyway. So that's kind of where we're at right now. It, it's put forward to the fall. Uh, if the election isn't called right away and they do go back to, to work in the fall, uh, that would be on the docket for the senators to uh, discuss and, and hopefully pass. Um, but if an election is called prior to then, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look like that bill will uh, will see the light of day. So is that when we have to start all over again? Yeah, it, it really would be. Um, and in that case, it would be dependent on whether uh, if there's a new government or if there's a majority or a minority of the existing government, uh, it would involve working through those channels. So uh, we, we did have really good support by uh, the NDP the Conservatives, and I believe the Green Party, as well as a couple uh, Liberal MPs. But um, a Liberal majority in a fall election would probably mean that uh, we wouldn't have much of a chance of getting this bill through because they're working on their rebate system that uh, 
we still don't know many details on, even though we've had a lot of meetings with them to try to to help shape that rebate as to what it should look like, but we've yet to receive any details back. We switch now to talking about uh, provincial politics. There's a new minister uh, for the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, and that's Lisa Thompson. What is our our relationship with uh, Minister Thompson and what are you looking forward to now that she's minister? Well, first off, I think I would thank uh, Minister Hardiman for the work that he did as the uh, the minister for quite a while in that uh, file. Um, with Minister Lisa Thompson coming in, uh, it's interesting to me. She's a fellow uh, ALP uh, grad, so the Advanced Agricultural Leadership Program that I did. Uh, so we've met a couple times uh, in events that, that ALP was putting on and she was willing to attend. Uh, she has a very good grasp on Ontario agriculture, very personable, very knowledgeable. And I think that we have a really good uh, relationship with her. Uh, in fact, I think it was only a handful of days after she was put into the role that she had already reached out and we had kind of an introductory conversation. And I think that uh, there are certainly things that, that we want to work on for the grain sector that she's willing to, to hear our side on and work with us towards uh, making sure that our grain farmers have the, the best programming possible. So I, I'm pretty hopeful right now with her. Like I say, she's always been a, an agricultural ally and uh, I look forward to, to working with her over this next stretch and, and hopefully getting some results. Yes, it's important that she has an agriculture background, understanding some of the issues that we deal with. You know, this uh, spring and summer is an example of some of the challenges that we do face, you know, with growing crops. Just this week, you know, I know there's been some difficulties with wheat harvest start, starting um, in parts of the province. What's been happening in your area? Um, basically we just had maybe in the last few days, uh, the wheat finally kind of ripened and hit that, uh, that moisture point that you would want to have it at for, uh, harvest and delivery. Um, we had a couple days of harvest, uh, down here that went fairly well. And then we got, uh, some rain showers and gloomy days the last couple here. Um, uh, we did have, unfortunately, a, uh, a field, uh, catch fire during wheat harvest, um, that was down near me. Uh, so I just want to encourage everybody to, to keep an eye out, be safe. Uh, obviously these things can pop up at a moment's notice, but, uh, but just make sure you're, you're doing the best possible that you can to, to mitigate. Uh, but unfortunately some of those things are out of our hands and, and just kind of happen. Uh, and in this case, uh, uh, 60 acres of wheat, uh, was, was burnt, uh, to the ground down here. So, it's, uh, it's always unfortunate and scary when you see it happen. Uh, in this case, at least there were no, uh, no real injuries or, or harm to, to people that were working on the property when it happened or when it started. And everybody kind of rallied around with the fire department and whatnot uh, to get it put out in a timely fashion. But it was so dry down here that it, things can happen pretty quick. So just be safe on the, uh, on the farm as per usual during, during wheat harvest. Have you heard anything from your fellow board members about other parts of the province? I've heard little bits and pieces of, of things maybe starting up, but for most guys, they were talking about over the next week, uh, they saw some potential to get going. Um, some other areas, of course, would be a, a couple weeks out. Uh, it's very regional, and we've had some some real different weather events this year where we had a lot of frost that came through in, in June in different parts and then we did have a a very heavy rain system that came through in some areas i know chatham kent lampton and 
areas there where they may have gotten uh, four or five, six uh, inches of rain in an overnight system. And one area had nine inches of rain overnight. Uh, so it's been pretty varied. Some of the areas that were maybe a little bit drier uh, or just had kind of a, a minimal or consistent rain uh, are ready for harvest. Uh, other areas are are still kind of drying out a little bit before they, uh, they'd be able to get going. And I did hear from our agronomist, Marty Vermey, that some of the wheat fields had some lodging. Have you seen any issues with that in your area? In my area, it's been fairly minimal, thankfully. Um, I know myself, uh, our wheat fields are all, all standing pretty strong. But I know I did talk to uh, a couple directors uh, even yesterday and large chunks of their their acreage of wheat uh, is lodged and and most of it is those areas that really had the the heavier consistent rainfall that that happened in a short period of time and and caused that uh, so it's like anything um, you do the best you can with what you're you're offered and we don't have control over the uh, the weather so it might be a little bit slow and steady in some spots to make sure they get all the crop that they can out of that uh, but as farmers, we kind of get used to every once in a while having to adapt to that. So hopefully it's not too bad for those areas. Well, good luck with your harvest uh, as it uh, progresses um, there in the Southwest. And we'll look forward to talking with you again in a couple of weeks. I appreciate your time today. No problem. Anytime at all. Grain Farmers of Ontario is committed to farmer wellness. Sarah Plater-Finley, our human resources consultant, has a list of resources for farmer members who may be struggling with stress, anxiety, or depression. Under our Farmer Wellness Program, we have a number of support resources available to our members. They're broken down into a couple of different types of resources. So we do have helplines, resource directories, and there's a couple programs that we've outlined too that could be helpful. So I would start by saying if you are in crisis or someone you, you know is and needs immediate assistance, always start with 911. If it is um, an issue that isn't quite as immediate, um, in terms of helplines, uh, the first one I would suggest would be Connects Ontario. Connects Ontario is a government-run program uh, that can be reached at 1-866-531-2600. Two six zero zero, or you can go to their website at connectsontario.ca. Uh, Connects Ontario has a, a number of different resources. You can connect with um, a trained professional who will direct you to different resources in the community. There are also some self-directed resources on the website. So if you visit connectsontario.ca, you can find out more information about what they offer. Another helpline is 211 Ontario. So you would dial simply 211 to access uh, one of their trained professionals who would also direct you to some different resources within your own community. You can also go to their website at 211ontario.ca uh, to find other resources that they have available as well. The last helpline that, that I would suggest is Crisis Service Canada. So this is a national service uh, for suicide prevention. So if you are thinking of suicide or you're worried about a friend or loved one, it would be good to connect with Crisis Service Canada. You can reach them at 1-833-456-4566 and their website is crisisservicecanada.ca. We also offer uh, resource directories. The first would be a therapist directory 
directory, which is a list of psychologists and social workers that are practicing in Ontario and have a farm background or experience in the industry. We have heard from our members that this is an important piece to, to talking to somebody is that they understand what they're going through on a daily basis. So we've provided that resource for our members. The other directory would be the um, Canadian Mental Health Association locations throughout Ontario. There are many locations throughout the province, uh, all offering some similar and some different services. So you can access all of those locations and the services they offer directly from our website. So lastly, there's a couple of programs that we would suggest if you were looking for, for support in the area of mental health. The first is the Bounce Back program. So this is um, a self-guided program, again, from the Canadian Mental Health Association. And it's a design for adults and youth to manage low mood, depression, anxiety, stress, or worry. And you can visit bounceback.ca to get more information about that program. Lastly, the Canadian government provides a program called Wellness Together. And this is a program that was uh, put together in response to the rise in mental distress due to COVID-19. And this program offers resources and support through their website, wellnesstogether.ca. There you can find one-on-one -on -one coaching, online communities, self-guided courses, and general mental health information. For more information on these mental health resources, go to gfo.ca and click on the Farmer Wellness tab. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Alex Berry, Brendan Burney, and Sarah Plater-Finley. If you'd like what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.